So now we got to say hello to everyone. Let's learn some Chumash. Yes, we are in the story where Esav is actually going to finally meet Yaakov in person. We already discussed the angel of Esav. And now finally comes the moment of truth. Esav comes toward, Yaakov lifts his eyes and he sees that Esav is approaching. And uh, he divides up the woman and the, 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 the bondswoman, etc. And they come in order to bow down and to greet Esav. First the mate and their children, then Leah and her children, then finally Rachel and Joseph. And he goes in front of all of them to be the very front. Because if Esav would fight with anyone, he would be the first one to deal with him. And he bows down before uh, his brother Esav seven times. Mentioned Dina was not visible. She was hidden in a box. Esav sees, first of all, the gifts that he received. Secondly, he sees this tremendous display of, of affection and you know, respect, how everyone's bowing down before him. And the Torah says that Esav ran towards his brother he had not seen in 20 years. He fell upon his neck, and he kissed him, and they both, cried, and they both uh, uh, wept. They wept for joy. Now, in the Torah, where it says the word that he kissed him, is actually dots on top of all the letters of the word Vayishakehu. And whenever in the Torah you have dots on top of a word, it means you should read it not the way it's written. What, what happened is not what happened. What you read is not what you're reading. I think it's called air quotes. It's like, yeah, he, he was happy to meet him. Yeah, happy, like, yeah, happy in quotations. So what happened is Ace of kissed Yaakov. But the kiss, there's a, Rashi brings us two opinions. What kind of kiss was it? One opinion is it wasn't a real kiss. It was no. I was going to meet your uncle by like, your face. I said, oh, I'm so happy to meet you. No, no, no. Right? That kind of kiss. That was one opinion. The second opinion is the opinion of Rabbi Shimon by Yochai, the author of the Zohar. Rabbi Shimon by Yochai tells us, It is a established fact. It's a reality in the world that Esau hates Yaakov. This is the reality. This is the nature that has been ingrained and embedded within the very DNA of Esau, that he hates Yaakov. And therefore, the the original assumption is that when Esav kisses Yaakov, it's not sincere. It's, it's only self-serving. In this particular situation, the dots on the word tell us not to read it the way we would normally think that Esav hated Yaakov, but at this moment, Esav's love for his brother was actually aroused, and they kissed him wholeheartedly. Didn't remain, but at the moment of meeting, according to Rishim Yochai, the union between Esav and Yaakov is actually a sincere kiss, a sincere reuniting. And then they wept for joy. Now, and this is an interesting medrash. Obviously, not Rabbi Shimon by Yechai's opinion. That why did he uh, kiss him and then cry? When Esau went to kiss him, he wasn't trying to kiss him. He was actually trying to kill Yaakov. How do you want to kill him? He's going to bite his neck off. Like an animal. Esau was a wild animal. And he had big teeth. Remember, he was born with teeth. And he was going to literally just kill Yaakov by just biting his neck. And when he went to go bite him, God did a miracle. And Yaakov's neck turned to stone. And when his neck became hard like stone, Esav took a big bite out of him and said he lost his teeth. So he was crying. Yaakov was crying on the pain that his brother still wanted to kill him. And Esav was crying on the fact that he just lost his teeth. And he realized that God was protecting him and he would not be able to kill him. And therefore they both cried. So not that they were crying for joy, but they were crying out of the pain of, the, uh, of this attempted murder of biting his neck off. Different interpretations, different perspectives on what happened at that moment when they met. Either way, what externally happened is that Esav and Yaakov make up, they make peace, 
Yaakov and Esav are hugging and kissing, or Esav is kissing Yaakov, rather. It's a one-way kiss, not a two-way kiss. The hug was both ways, the crying was both ways, the kiss was one way. Um, but anyway, they make peace, and then Esav lifts up his eyes, he sees the woman and the children, he says, who are these? And Yaakov says, these are the children, Asher Hanan that God has graciously granted to your servant. Okay, each one of the lineages come forward with their kids, they bow down, and Leib comes with their kids and bows down, and Yosef and Rachel, etc. And then Esav asks, Yaakov, what was with all those gifts that you sent me? The camel and the sheep and the donkeys and the goats, all the five different flocks of sheep you sent me. So what was, what was it for? So Yaakov says, it's a gift to you in order that I may find favor in my master's eyes. Notice he calls him my master, I'm your servant. So Esav says, listen to these words, Yeshli Rav, which means I have a lot. Rav means a lot. I have, I have a lot of stuff. My brother, you can keep what you have. I don't need your stuff. I have so much. Okay? I'm going to show the contrast in a second, but let's go further. Yaakov says, please, if I find favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. Why? Because I have seen your face, and it is like seeing the face of an angel. Here Yaakov is saying to Esau, if you want to try and fight me soon, I've already wrestled with your angel, and I've already prevailed over your angel, I've already won that wrestling match, so you're not going to win me. Seeing your face like seeing an angel, number one. Number two, about to saying that you have been appeased by me. You have hugged me and kissed me and you know not tried to kill me, at least externally. And so therefore, for that alone, it is worth it for me to give you all of these very expensive and wealthy gifts in order that we can continue to... Uh, for the fact that I've been saved and I want your angel that you accepted me, it's good enough. Therefore, Yaakov says to Esav, I ask you, please, take the blessings which have been brought to you, because God has been gracious to me, and I have kol. Kol means everything. And he begged him to please take it. And then because he begged him, so he took it. Listen to the difference between Esav talks and the way Yaakov talks. It's a one-word difference, but there's a lot of difference here. Asa says to his brother, I don't need your present, why not? Yeshli Rav. I have a lot. I am, I'm uber wolf. I have a lot. Yaakov says, take it, why? Yeshli Kul. I have everything. Now, very simplistically, which one sounds better? Having everything. So having everything, you have more than having a lot. Seemingly, right? You have a lot, there's a lot. But everything, you have everything. So you have everything. But the... Everything is spiritual, Everything okay. I need, Everything I need, there you go. Here's the difference. When you say I have a lot, it's not an expression of satisfaction or of appreciation of what you have. It's an expression of ego and of pride and of boasting. Look at me, I'm so wealthy. I have this car, I have that house, I have this, you know, I have this expensive thing, I have that thing. It's a showing off. When you say I have everything, it's an expression of satisfaction. Who's a rich person? Someone who's satisfied with what he has. Yaakov is not, Yaakov, they're both wealthy. Esav is wealthy and Yaakov is wealthy. The difference is Esav is flaunting his wealth. Yes, look at how much I have. Look at how wealthy I am. Look at all the possessions that I can show you. Look at how many people I have. Yaakov's wealth is from, it leads him to a feeling of satisfaction, to a feeling of, I have everything I need. There's no, I don't need anything else. I'm not missing anything. I don't lack anything. When you have a lot, you can still want more. <laughs> In fact, rich people have to, Find more ways to waste the money because they have to show how much more they have. Yaakov has money too, but he has a very happy, satisfied contentment from that which God has given him. I have everything I need. Take it for yourself. Okay.
So they travel. So then Yaakov, Esau, sorry, Esau says to Yaakov, I'll take your gift. Let us travel together back to Israel, back to Harseya where I live. And I know that you can't go fast. So I'll go slowly with you. And let's travel together. We're buddies. We're friends now. Now Yaakov knew that although Esau had made peace, and even though according to Rabbi Shimon it was a legitimate, sincere, authentic peace, but it wouldn't last. Yaakov already knew what he was dealing with. So Yaakov said, I don't need, we don't need to live together buddy-buddy forever. That was a great lesson last night. When you're dealing with anti-Semites, you don't need to, they don't need to become your best friends. You don't need to transform them to becoming you know, your, uh, your biggest ally. You just need to get from them what you need. You need to get the concessions. You need to be able to do what you need to do and then live your life and I'll live my life. We don't need you to like us. We just need you to give us what we need. So now that Esau is not threatening the life of Yaakov anymore, you go back to your home and I'm going to go to my home and we're going to go our own ways. We can't say that nicely. So Yaakov says to Esau, why would my master be so generous and kind to uh, do this to me? Why would he be so kind to do this to me? I can't go fast. Why should you go slow? And to go fast, I can't. You know, if I would go fast, and one day, all the sheep and the cattle and the young kids that are with me, they would all, all the sheep would die. Okay? So therefore, you go ahead of me, and I'll catch up to you at the right time. I'll catch up, catch up to you at Mount Seir. Now, Yaakov has absolutely no intention of going to Har Seir, not in his lifetime. He's not in his plans at all. But when will we come to Mount Seir? When Mashiach will come, we say every morning in Davin, we said this morning. When the day when Mashiach will come, on that day, the, the redeemers will go up onto the mountain of Zion to judge the mountain of Asaph, the Harseyer, Mount Seir. On that day, by Yom Hahu, God's name will be one, Hashem will be one, His name will be one, etc. No, Mount Seir is in, in the north of Israel. That's where Yaakov, where Esau lived. So is that in Israel? It's on the other side of the Jordan River. This is the land that the Jews did not conquer. It's one of the lands of the ten lands that we will inherit when we conquer the land of the ten lands. That will be our land. Okay? So he says, um, you go ahead and I'll catch up to you. When I catch up to you, I'll catch up to you. So um, then Asaph says, at least let me leave someone with you. Let me leave some men with you. We'll catch up. I'll give you some of my guards to protect you on the way. And again, Yaakov says, watch that you be so kind and generous to me. You go ahead, and I'll catch up to you then. And they depart ways. Esau goes ahead to Harseyer, and Yaakov stays right where he is, and he builds tents for his family right there, the place that he calls Sukkot, from the name Sukkot, like a temporary shelter, etc. I'll point to something very interesting. In the Kabbalah, it explains that when Yaakov says to Esau that if I go with you to Harseyer, the children will die, and the sheep will die, I can't push them, means that Yaakov was really ready to go with Esau to Harseyer. And he could have destroyed all of the evil of Egypt, of Esau, and brought about the day of Mashiach already right then and there. The problem is, the children weren't ready. The sheep weren't ready. The, the physical world had to be refined, had not yet been refined. So Yaakov sacrificed for himself, not to experience the day of Bayom Hahu, Yi Hashem Echad, Echad, that day when Hashem will be one, and his name will be one. He sacrificed it, because... The Shiach has to come when the world is ready, when the children are ready, when the sheep are ready, when the world has been transformed. And therefore, Yaakov said, you go ahead, even though I'm ready, but I'm going to stay slow, behind, I'm going to stay behind for the people of my, uh, of my generation. Same idea with Moshe Rabbeinu being buried in the desert, etc., etc. Anyway, moving on. So Yaakov now takes 18 months until he's coming back to the land of Israel, which is a mistake on his part. He takes a long time. He builds sukkahs, he stays through the winter. And he comes to the city of Shechem. And he comes to the city of Shechem. 
He is shalim, we are told. He is complete. He is complete that he has finally healed from the limp that he had from the wrestling match with Ace, with Asa's angel. He is complete that he didn't forget any of the Torah that he studied while he was by Lavan. All of the gifts that he gave to Asa has already been replenished in his stock. He comes and he dwells outside the city, of, facing the city of Shechem, and he buys a small parcel of land upon which to put his tent near the city of Shechem. So now it's, he's in the land of Israel. He buys his own piece of property outside the city. And what happened? He builds over there a Mizbeach, an altar to give thanks to Hashem for bringing him back to the land of Israel. And what happens when he's living there outside the city of Shechem? So the story is that Dina, the daughter of Leah, goes out to go see what's going on in the, in the clubs and the parties, to see the daughters of the land. And as Dina goes out to party, she sees Shechem, the son of the king of the city of Shechem. Of Shechem. So his name is Shechem, and the city is called Shechem. And he sees this beautiful girl, and he wants her. So he's the king, or he's a prince, rather. So he takes her. He rapes her, and he sexually afflicts her in other ways besides her rape. But he also talks to Dina's heart, and he convinces Dina it's going to be good for you to stay in the palace. Now your father had to pay so much money just to buy a little piece of land outside the city. Come marry me. You'll be the princess. One day you'll be the queen. You'll own the whole city. Anything you want will be yours. Your life will be much, much better. And so even though he had abused her and raped her, he also manipulated her and psychologically got to her that she wanted to stay with Shechem and to become married to him. So now that he has to get married, so Shechem goes to his father, Hamar, Hamar also owns the donkey, and he says, take me to this girl. Get me, get me, get me uh, the rights to marry this girl. So Yaakov already heard what happened with his daughter, how he, she had been violated by Shechem, but he didn't say anything because his sons were not home. They were in the field with the cattle, with the sheep. So he's quiet. Yaakov is a patient person. He can hold it in. Anyway, Hamar comes to Yaakov and he says to him, let's, uh, let's make a peace treaty. Why do you need to uh, live so far away, you know, separate from us? Let's live together in peace and harmony. Give your daughter to my son in marriage, and then we can intermarry. You will give us your daughters. And we can take our daughters for yourselves and we can live amongst us and the land will be open before you and you can settle in it and you can do business in it and you can own land and you can uh, be successful. So then Shechem, so this is what he said to them. I said, you tell me how much you want me to give as a dowry, whatever number you want, I will pay it so that my son can marry your daughter. So by now, Jacob's sons have returned from the field. They heard what happened and they replied with cunning. To they reply with Bimirma, with cunning, they learn from their father, to Shechem and to Hamur, the one that had defiled the sister Dina, and said, We can't do that. We can't marry uncircumcised people. Doesn't work that way. We're circumcised. This is the covenant of Abraham. So if you want our assent to intermarry, not the covenant of intermarry, it was a trick, but if you want our permission to intermarry, here's the condition every single male in the city of Shechem has to be circumcised. You all get circumcised. Then we will give you our daughters and we will take your daughters for ourselves and we'll live together like one single nation. But if you don't, don't get circumcised. We take Dina and we move somewhere else. Okay? So the young man was so excited. He went to the city, made a big proclamation. He gathered them together. He said, guys, we have a great opportunity. Here's a family living outside and they are fully at peace with us. Let them live in our land and trade with us, do business with us. There's a lot of room for all of us together. Just we can take, he switches around the order. 
Not we will give them our daughter. We will take their daughters for ourselves and they will give our we will give our daughter to them. Switch around the words to try and you know make it sound more exciting to them. The only condition is we need to be circumcised. So and then once we're circumcised, big deal, we'll get a bris, and then and then uh, we'll be able to have business with them and take their very well to have money, etc. All the people agreed to Shem's request. Here's where all the people become liable for, for, for being part and being complicit in the crime of raping this innocent girl. And the entire city, all the males come out to get circumcised. And when they do that, they all get circumcised on the third day after the bris, when they are in the most pain and the most weak after being circumcised. Uh, two of Yaakov's sons, Shimon and Levi, come. They were 13 years old at the time. This is their bar mitzvah celebration, actually. They come with swords and they kill the entire city of Shechem, all the men that had been part of this violation of their sister, and they take their sister Dina from the house of Shechem, and they leave, and they run. They take all the, uh, the, the possessions, and they plunder the city. They had the father's sister. They take the flock, and the cattle, and the donkeys, and whatever's in the city. They took all the women and the children as, as maids, and they destroyed the city. They kidnapped, they had kidnapped their sister. They were excited. We'll just end with this. Yaakov is not so excited. Yaakov says to Shimon and Levi, you've taken away my peace of mind. Now you have made me disgusting in the eyes of the people of the land. They're going to be afraid of me. They're going to come out together and attack me. Why did you do this? Now all the people, we're only a few people, and now a small family, all the nations will gather together and destroy us. And Shimon and Levi replied, Should we have allowed our sister to be treated like a harlot? like a woman who's not protected by her family. We had a moral obligation to defend our sister and God will protect us and we're not afraid. Sure enough, they were right. Nothing happened. But we'll see how Yaakov moves away because of this. I'll be God willing tomorrow's class. Okay, yes. Thank you very much. Questions? I was wondering, I can see why Shem was guilty and was 